We'll be reading from, first John, from John 10, verses 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy, inspired word that you gave to John to record the words that Jesus spoke about himself that reveal who Jesus is and why he came. Father, I pray that you would make your words alive this morning, that it should enable us to hear your words, it should enable me to speak your words, we pray in your name, amen. You know, often a symbol can obscure the real thing, can it? A metaphor can get lost, a symbol can, that's meant to bring clarity and illuminate something, it can end up replacing the real thing instead of clarifying the real thing. All around us this weekend, we have lots of symbols, don't we? If, you're, if you woke up this morning like me, you might have even given your kids an Easter basket. We have symbols of baby animals this time of year, little, little golden chicks and baby lambs and bunnies and eggs. And, and during this Easter holiday, we have symbols all around us. Some of them might be familiar to you. You can say all, it's okay. But there's a danger in the midst of so many symbols that the reality might get lost. What these things have been meant to symbolize often is lost on us. So, you know, Easter becomes about bunnies and eggs and those yummy little yellow peeps and the candy that fills our bellies and my favorite, those little peanut butter eggs. But 
Amen. But, but they don't really satisfy. They're never meant to fill us. And sometimes those, those things that we have joy in that are good gifts from God that we can celebrate, they distract us from actually seeing the real thing at times. The eggs that we hide, they point us to the fact there's new life to be had in Jesus Christ. The, the animals, the little babies that we, we depict, they're to show that there is new life springing anew in Jesus most people don't make those connections. Sometimes symbols are lost and metaphors aren't understood. In this account, actually, when Jesus is, is telling the story to the Pharisees, they're not getting the metaphor. Although they really should have gotten the metaphor. They should have understood. They were very familiar with shepherds. They were very familiar with sheep and sheepfolds and gates and all the metaphors he used. But they didn't make those connections. This morning, it takes even a little bit more effort for us to make those connections because except for maybe one or two people here that I'm aware of, I don't think anybody else is familiar with sheep farming. And not many of us understand what it means to raise sheep and how dumb they are. And even though they're really adorable, and I think God makes them that way because they're so dumb. And, but we don't really get that, and we don't understand the complexities of sheep farming, but Jesus used these metaphors because they help illuminate, they help clarify some things about who he is and why he came. And so we're going to take the next just little while to see how these verses in John 10, how they show us that, that Jesus came so that people may have new life to the fullest. He came so that you and I and everyone here might have new life and he says abundantly or to the fullest. In, in, in its absolute fullest essence, in the, the fullest meaning of life, that we might have new life in Jesus. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate Good Friday in his death. And that's why we celebrate Easter morning because he came to give us new life. And new life to the fullest. There's four different things that Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came as a man to rescue mankind, that he, he reveals about himself through the use of different metaphors. And he actually uses a metaphor one way, then uses it a different way. In some other verses, in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the metaphor of a shepherd who calls his sheep and they know his voice. And we'll see that Jesus is the only shepherd that can be trusted. All other people... All other shepherds, all other sources of life that we might seek to follow cannot be trusted. But Jesus is the only shepherd who can be trusted. And then we'll see in verses 7 through 11 that he is the only way to be saved, satisfied, and safe. He's the only way. He's the door. He's the only way to be saved, to be satisfied, and to be safe. And we'll unpack that as well. And then we'll see in 11 through 16 that he's the only one who dies to rescue his people. No other no other in history, no other savior, if you will, no other lesser God, if you will, no other figure dies to save his people and then res resurrected again. As we'll see in verses 17 and 18, he's the only one who's raised up for his people. And in being raised, he makes his people new. So let's look at the first five verses where we're going to see that Jesus is the only shepherd that can be trusted. You know, so often in this world, we look to, to people, don't we? And people disappoint us. We look to families sometimes and they disappoint us. Maybe today you'll be going to be with family that you may or may not really like to be around. 
Sometimes you look to a political leader and you have great hopes there and you think, wow, they're going to change things. And then you realize that, no, that leader can't really be trusted. Sometimes religious leaders and pastors and, and people in authority, they fail. And all of them really are just dim shadows of the one shepherd, the one true leader who can be trusted, who all of us can trust for all of life. You know, in ancient Israel, the sheep were tended a lot differently than they are today. And in Australia, where a huge amount of sheep are tended today, they, they kind of treat them like the Americans did cattle 150 years ago. They corral them up. They ride on horses. They, they drive them out in front. And the sheep are driven. But Jesus is not that kind of shepherd. In Australia, in, 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 in uh, Scotland, they take dogs and they, they herd the sheep with dogs and the dogs nip at their heels and they whistle commands and the dogs round them up. And, and Jesus is not that kind of shepherd who harasses the sheep. In ancient Israel, they would have been familiar with a different kind of shepherd and the shepherds there, they would actually know their sheep. They would get to know them by name. They, they would recognize their different traits The shepherd wouldn't lead from behind. He wouldn't harass from about. He would lead from the front. The sheep would follow after the shepherd. And then at night, the shepherd would take the sheep and he would lead them back into a place of safety. And in more densely populated areas, which is probably what Jesus is speaking about, they would build a large sheepfold and they would have high high fences or high gates on the side and then high, high, high stone walls. And then they would have one gate. And that gate would be guarded by a hired hand, a gatekeeper, and he would only let the shepherds in. Typically, they would have a lot of different flocks from many different families that would keep their sheep there at night so they could get some rest. And all the sheep would go into these sheepfolds. And they would only let in the shepherd of the sheep. And then the shepherd of the sheep would call his own sheep out of the sheepfold with his own unique special call. And I'm not going to do any of those today, although... I did a little research online, and they have some really bizarre ways of calling sheep. And that's so that they can be identified from other shepherds. But the interesting thing is, is that the sheep in that context, because they follow the shepherd, because they know the shepherd's voice, they come out of the sheepfold. And it's only those sheep who know that shepherd who follow after him. And so Jesus is using that metaphor Sometimes those people would sneak, he's he's telling us, and climb in over the stone walls to steal as many sheep without being seen. Sometimes they'd try to take sheep through another way. He was actually jabbing at the Pharisees in this context because the Pharisees were leading people astray. They were, they were climbing in from another means, other than God's provided means of the Messiah. And the Pharisees were, were stealing away people or trying to steal away the sheep here. And he's saying they're thieves, they're robbers. And then we find in verse 2, it says that he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus is saying that only he is the true shepherd of the sheep. Only he is qualified. Only he is fit to lead. And he can be trusted. Jesus came just like God had foretold in countless prophecies about him for a thousand years ahead. Jesus came in just the way that God said he would. And he came is God's appointed shepherd. And so at the right time, God, God opens the door for Jesus to come in to lead his sheep out. And then Jesus takes the illustration even further. The sheep just don't hear the shepherd's voice, if you notice, and follow him. Jesus makes this a lot more personal, a lot more intimate and loving. 
And although he calls the whole flock, he doesn't just call them generically. He says he calls his own sheep by name. And that's important because if you're going to follow somebody, you want to know that they understand you, that they know you. And what Jesus is saying is that he knows everyone he calls. He knows them personally. He knows them by name. He knows each and every person here by name. Not just generically, not from a distance, but he knows the individual personalities and traits and how you're shaped. And, you know, in sheep, they might have fluffy heads and some might have long noses or big ears, whatever those different traits are. And so he's familiar with all the little things that make you different and unique. And he calls you uniquely and personally by name. And you can trust him because he knows you. He's not a shepherd who has his own interests in mind. He has your interests in mind. Jesus came that he might call a people to himself. He came, as we're going to find out later, to actually give his life. He's a different kind of shepherd. And then in verse 6, it It says they didn't understand what he was saying. They would have known all about sheep. They should have gotten the metaphor. They understood the difference between a a shepherd and a gatekeeper and doors. But they didn't get the metaphor. And so Jesus goes on and he changes things up a little bit. He uses the metaphor of a door, but he uses it in a very different way. If you look in verse 7, he writes, Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Before he was talking about a door that he entered. And now he's actually changing the metaphor a little bit to make them understand a little bit better. And he says, I, myself, I'm the door. And he's also kind of changing the setting because in those days, what they would have done with sheep in the, in the out, out in the pastures where there wasn't a city, the shepherd would take sheep and he would, he would take them to a safe place. He would typically create a bramble or a thicket around the sheep. And then he would have a little opening. And then the shepherd would lay down at the entrance of that sheepfold that he created. And he himself then would become the door. So if any sheep would want to go out, he'd have to pass over the shepherd. Any thieves would try to break in, he'd have to get through the shepherd. And so the shepherd himself was the only way in or out into the sheepfold. And so that's what Jesus is saying here is that he's the only way to be fully saved, to be satisfied, and to be safe, to be kept safe. He is, Jesus is the only way to be fully saved, satisfied, and safe. And we all know that a door is, is an entry place, right? A door is how we get into some place or somewhere. We, we have doors in our house. We know that the front door of our house, it, it, for many, it leads to a perceived place of security, of comfort, or safety, A solace, a place of refuge for some. Sadly for others, the door to home can be a place of berating or belittling and a place of anger and argument, a place of dread that some want to leave. But Jesus is talking about him being a door, an entry into a place that's different, a place that's secure, a place that's safe, a place where the, the sheep may be saved from the wolves, where they may be protected, and then also a place from which he can lead them out into pastures and bring them back in again. And so he says in verse 9, he's the door, he's the way that the sheep will be saved. You see, sheep left to themselves, they won't survive. You put a sheep in a pasture, and if they eat all the grass in that pasture, even if there is a, a pasture just a little ways away, they won't go there unless they are led. They've been domesticated for thousands of years, and they depend upon the shepherd. It's well known that sheep aren't smart, and around a lot this year, you know, we take, take pictures of the little, little teeny baby lambs, and it's cute to watch them trip over and watch them stumble. 
but it wouldn't be so cute if adult sheep were doing that. Sheep are relatively defenseless, though. Even when they grow up, they're relatively defenseless. They're, they're relatively weak. They're vulnerable to predators. They get lost. They have a tendency to wander off. You know, even if a sheep lies down the wrong way, and I, this, this really happens, a sheep can lie down the wrong way, kind of roll over its back, stretch out, and then once doing that, it makes a little depression in the ground, if the ground's soft, and then it can get stuck there, and it wiggles more, and it gets stuck on its back completely. And then it's, it's, it's what they call cast. And they're stuck there, thrashing their legs on their backs, stuck in place. A sheep can be really helpless. This is a common occurrence even today. I was just reading on a farming blog about this shepherd was having a real hard time. This sheep farmer was having a hard time because he lost four, um, four ooze that, that, that morning. He went out at 10 a.m. and checked them, and they were all fine. But by 1, 8, 1, 1 p.m., he went back out again, and then there were four of them that were up on their backs. He righted one of them, and, 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 and it was dead. It's just, just a matter of hours. Sheep were vulnerable animals. I think we can relate, right? We're, we're vulnerable animals. We're vulnerable people. We're vulnerable creatures. Made in God's image, but he made us as dependent creatures. Now, we're not dumb in the sense of sheep. He's given us a mind and his intelligence, and he's created us to think and to process. But compared to God, I think that's, that's a fair gap to make. And if you think about the shepherd as a door... He's the one who will lead the sheep out to find pastures. He's the one who takes them out beside still waters. And then when threats come, he's the one that takes them back into safety. He is the way, as John said in, later on in chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, Jesus said, and the truth and the life. Listen, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Using that same door analogy. He's the only way to safety and provision for the sheepfold. And, and sheep only come in the sheepfold through him. There is no other way. And, and maybe this morning you've been putting your hope, your faith, your trust in maybe your success or your ability or what people think about you. Or maybe you're putting your hope in, in what kind of degree you're getting or what, what you've gotten. Or maybe it's your position or some other thing. Your family, security, stability. And Jesus says there's all of those False shepherds will not lead you to safety. They will not save you. They won't give you true water. They won't give you true food that nourishes. And then look in verse 10. It says, the thief, these false shepherds, they come only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. False shepherds, they make promise Life or salvation, there's no other way, though, into the sheepfold except through Jesus. Maybe you're trusting in something else and trusting in some false promise, and Jesus says, no, those are thieves. They'll only steal and kill and destroy in the end. Paul tells us all of us are like sheep, we've gone astray. Like All, all, all of us, like sheep, will have gone our own way. Everyone here at one time has followed after themselves or something else other than Jesus, and that's only going astray. It only leads to theft and destruction. Other ways, other leaders might make all sorts of promises. They might seem like they can deliver us, but everything else is a thief and only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. If you think back to World War II or before World War II, 
My family, actually, my grandmother immigrated. She was in between World War II, World War I and World War II, and she immigrated. She discerned that when she was young, along with her mom, that Hitler was really not the salvation of Germany. Yet most of people in Germany at the time looked to Hitler for the, their salvation. They looked for him to, to make things right, to bring safety, to bring security. And he, he talked a good game to the Germans before the war broke out. But later, it became clear that he would only lead them to poverty and and everything he did in the end, he stole their children from the army. He killed and destroyed things. You know, to the Russians, Stalin might have seemed like a great deliverer, but he ended up stealing from the people and killing them and destroying their country. Over five million people were put to death in, in internment camps there. You know, the idea of a worldly utopia, it's a myth. Seeking safety, seeking security, salvation in anyone other than Jesus is false. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life, real life, full life, life defined to the fullest, abundant life in that sense of, of, of true life. The fullest meaning of life is what Jesus came to give us. And then in verse 11, Jesus says, not only did I come to save the sheep, to bring them to safety, to nourish them, to care for them, he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And that word there, it's kind of a downplay in the English language. That word for good means most noble, the kind of most honorable, the, the greatest one, the greatest good. Surpassing all others, in some places even translated as the beautiful one. So he, he is the good shepherd in that sense, the honorable one, the excellent one. So from verses 11 to 18, Jesus tells us here is something surprising. He says something that they would not have expected from a shepherd. You see, shepherds would be willing to defend the sheep even when there was a threat of death, but no shepherd would ever dare to give up his life in the face of an enemy. No shepherd would dare to lay down his life because it would result in the eventual loss of the sheep. The sheep would be no good with a dead shepherd. And yet Jesus says something shocking. He says that he is the only one who dies to rescue his people. Jesus is the only one who dies to rescue his people. You know, many of us have heard stories of David in the Bible, how when he was a young shepherd, maybe you read it in a children's storybook, when he was a young shepherd, he, he fought off a bear, when, and he, when he was a young shepherd, he fought off a lion, and those are true accounts, and you know, some shepherds may have done that. I think David was, was probably a little more noble than most shepherds we see. He was a man after God's own heart. He was probably defending the flock because he, he knew his parents and his family's livelihood depended upon it, but it would not be normative for shepherds to die. It'd be normal for them to be willing to die. But no shepherd would lay down his life. He'd be seen as a fool. You know, that's why the, the Romans in that day, that's why many people in that day, that's why people today still say, how foolish is it that you have a Savior who died? What kind of Savior is that? And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm a shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. He's no ordinary shepherd. He's noble and good above all others. And look in verse 12. He tells us, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep, leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You know, if you worked for someone on a ranch, maybe for $10 an hour, 15 bucks an hour, maybe 20 bucks an hour, you know, you, you're working as a ranch hand on a sheep farm, 
somewhere out west and a, and a fierce timber wolf approaches, I think for $20 an hour, you'd probably say, no thanks. You'd be inclined to shave your own skin because, you know, after all, you get another job. Even if they fire you, so what? Better the sheep get eaten than you. But imagine if your life savings were invested in the flock of sheep that you had, and that was all you had. And you have 10 children to provide for. And you know that if that flock gets ravaged, your, your children will go hungry. You're going to look at that flock a little differently. You're going to defend them differently. You're probably not going to just take off. But Jesus is saying that he's not a hired hand. He's the owner of the sheep. Why that's important to know is that if Jesus calls his sheep, which by the way, he's calling to each and every person here, and he's asking you to respond. The question is whether you will or not. For all those who have responded and who will respond, Jesus says that he's your owner. Why is that important? Because he takes your security, your life. Your safety. He takes, he takes everything about you seriously. You're precious to him. He's not some hired hand. He has a vested interest. He laid down his life for you. Like in Ephesians 5.25, Paul wrote, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Jesus didn't just say, I love you. And give you a kiss on the cheek. He said, I love you. And then he gave everything for you. That's what we celebrate on on Good Friday. Is that he's the only shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Not only that, he says, I know my own. In verse 14, and my own know me. Not only does Jesus know those who come to him and follow him. He says, they know me too. And then he explains just how abnormal this knowing, how close this is. And he says, just like I know the Father, and the Father knows me. So I know the sheep, and they know me. Now think about that for a second, right? As Christians, we know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they're they're three persons in one. In one God, three persons, and that from all eternity, they have coexisted in perfect communion, perfect harmony, perfect love, knowing each other fully and completely. And so when he uses that terminology and says, just like I know the Father intimately, personally, closely, and the Father knows me, so I know my sheep You may feel like this morning that God doesn't know my cause. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. He seems distant from me. He doesn't seem to care about my circumstances and my situation. And yet we can have hope knowing that, no, Jesus does know you and care about you personally. And then verse 16, he explains to the people who are listening, his Jewish audience, that, that God's people are not limited to the Jews. He said he'd bring in other sheep. There'd be no distinction between the Jewish flock, the Gentile flock. He says, I have sheep that are not part of this fold, meaning not part of the Jewish fold. He says, I'm going to bring them in also, and they're all going to become one. I'm going to transform them into one flock, one people. And so God has sheep in Iran and Bangladesh and Cambodia and Ukraine and Afghanistan and Cuba and Canada and Argentina and Azerbaijan and Burundi and Botswana and Japan and just think about all the different countries around the world. And so each Good Friday, we celebrate the fact that wherever you go, Jesus, the great shepherd, he has died to gather his flock. 
from California to the Sahara. He's rescued his people and he's the only one who's died to rescue his people forever. But today, this morning, we celebrate something even more joyful. You see, if he had only died, that would be good news, but it wouldn't secure us forever. It wouldn't secure our life. He wouldn't be able to keep us. You see, a dead shepherd is not able to watch out over to keep the sheep, to protect the sheep, to care for the sheep. And a dead shepherd really can't can't work on the sheep's behalf. And yet we see in verse 17 and 18 what he told his followers. Jesus is the only one who is raised up for his people. He's the only one who is raised up for his people. He says, I laid down my life so that I could take it up again. The whole purpose of me laying down my life, Jesus says, is so that I might take it up. I didn't die to stay dead. I'm not going to die to stay dead, really is what he's saying here. I'm going to die so that I can raise my life up again. Why? So that I can give eternal life to my sheep. So that I will be the true and everlasting good shepherd. Forever able to watch out over, to care, to protect my sheep. It's good news for us. It's why we celebrate this time of year because Jesus is not dead. And it was planned from the beginning of time. Jesus planned it. He and the Father together conspired. The Father planned to send his Son to die so that he might raise up his life. And he gave him authority to do that. And Jesus agreed with the Father and says, I'm going to lay down my life so that I might raise it up again. And if we only celebrate Jesus' death and we do not celebrate his resurrection, then we miss Hope completely. If Jesus is not resurrected, then we, above all people, are to be most pitied. But he did not remain in the grave. Jesus is risen. And so to make sure they got the point, he says in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father... He made the point that he wasn't just going to die. He was going to resurrect himself. He has that authority. Why? Because Jesus is not only the way, the truth. He is the life, the source of all life. He's the giver of life. He has power over death. He has power over hell. And he has the power of life. We see later on in John when they were seeking to betray him. When Judas was betraying him. He demonstrates he had this authority. They asked Jesus, I mean, Jesus asked them, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he says, I am he. And then John 18, 6, it tells us in the midst of this very terrible situation, something that's almost comical. He says, I'm he. And what happens is they all fall down. To demonstrate, what is that demonstrating? That he has power. I am he. And they all fall down. They didn't have authority to arrest him. Just, just one word he speaks and they all fall down. And yet, then later we see that Peter, he goes, he draws his sword, he cuts the ear off the, the, the high priest's servant. And Jesus says, put your, put your sword away. In Matthew 26, 53, it tells us, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he would at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? By the way, in the Old Testament, just a single angel, angel could destroy an army. Could you imagine legions of angels? And Jesus says, Look, I've got authority to call down legions of angels, but this is my plan. I'm submitting myself. Peter, you think your little measly sword is going to do a thing? Put it away. I've got more power than you. 
And then Pilate, later when Pilate is questioning him and, and Jesus doesn't answer him, he says, don't you answer me? Don't you know that I have authority to kill you? And Jesus says, you have no authority over me. Any authority you have over me has been given to you. He says in John 19, 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. Yeah, it's true that Jesus' enemies conspired to kill him, but it was all part of the, the plan of God. Actually, in Acts 4, we went through our study in the book of Acts earlier this year. In verse 27, we see in their prayer to God, it says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do, now listen here, whatever your hand and your plan, speaking of God, had predestined to take place. The crucifixion at the hands of Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews who were responsible for his death was all planned by God. And, and, and Jesus himself had authority to lay down his life. And that's important to know because he has authority to take it up again. And he says ahead of time now here in John 10, it's not going to be any accident. It's not going to be a twist of fate. Don't be confused. When I lay down my life, I'm laying it down because I'm going to take it back up again. That's the whole point. All throughout the book of Acts, you can see the resurrection features large because that's the source of joy and hope that we have as Christians. Jesus lied, laid down his life so we would, he could take it back up again and be our resurrection hope, our true good shepherd. Not only did he sh- save the sheep from the, the, the wolves of sin, all of us have sinned and fallen short of, of what God has planned for us. Not only did he save us from the wolf of sin that would seek to destroy us, he saved us from the wolf of judgment that we deserve. And he also saves us from the wolf of death. And he's raised again to life so that he will forever and is forever our great shepherd. Forever nourishing, forever caring for his sheep, forever leading us out, bringing us in, until one day he will completely keep us. Keep us safe. So what does all this mean for us? How can we apply all this? Well, I think that we're meant to see in these verses that Jesus came so that his people might have life, new life, and life to the fullest. You know, when we turn from any, from the good shepherd to any other shepherd, we don't experience or receive life. The thing, the person, the source that we look to instead of Jesus, it, 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 it steals from us. It, it seeks to kill us and destroy us. And so easily, though, we listen to other voices, don't we? I'm prone to this myself. I, you know, we listen to other voices that tell us that our hope and our satisfaction is in other things. We listen to our own voice at times. Maybe we hope in our own ability to be right before God. And that's a false shepherd that only steals and kills. But as sheep, we aren't meant to follow our own voice or anyone else's. We, we need a shepherd to lead and guide us. We need the good shepherd to feed us. We need the noble shepherd to care for us. We need the most beautiful shepherd to lead us and to protect us from enemies. We need the strong shepherd when we're cast to put us back on our feet, to rescue us. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've followed our own way, but we only need to hear the voice of Jesus, the shepherd. This morning, 
In some way, as I share God's words for you, you're, you're hearing his words mediated, and it's him speaking to each and every one of us. And God calls, and he calls you by name, and he asks you to follow him, to, to deny yourself, to leave everything else behind, all lesser shepherds, all all things that you might look to to satisfy and to follow his voice because he knows you. He has your best interest at heart. You can trust him. He's the only one who can save you and keep you safe and secure. Maybe you're following the thief of self-achievement. Maybe you're seeking safety and protection and comfort in the arms of a thief of worldly security. But know that that thief only seeks to steal and to kill and destroy. Maybe you're looking for a perfect family, right? Maybe you're looking for job stability or financial peace, being liked by your classmates or your peers or fitting in, being popular. Maybe you're looking to volunteering or service or activism to find purpose in life. Maybe you have a cause that you're pouring your life into and and that has subtly become your shepherd. Any other shepherd is an imposter. Any other way you're led is is like following after a thief and a robber. Jesus is the only one who gives us true life. And he gives us his resurrection life. Amen? If you haven't responded to the voice of this good shepherd, of this strange shepherd who gives his life for the sheep so that he might take it back up again so that we can have hope in him as our shepherd to lead us forever. If you haven't placed your faith in the shepherd, then respond to him now. What does that look like? It's not praying a, a specific prayer with certain words. It does mean, though, leaving your own path. It means renouncing your own way. It means turning away from trusting in yourself or any other source of hope to looking to any other false shepherd that's really a thief. It means turning now and admitting to God that you're sinful and you can't clean yourself up. It means confessing that you followed after false gods and false shepherds that that you don't want to find life anywhere else. Admit that you're not capable on your own. That you need him to save you, to rescue you from punishment and from the wolves of sin and death. Then begin to follow him. And he promises that he'll lead you. He'll guide you. You'll know his voice. You'll follow him. Because he's called you. And you can trust him. Even if, kind of like sheep at times, we're not really aware what the shepherd's doing. Even if, like sheep at times, they kind of wander off. Ultimately, they, we, can trust the great and good shepherd. Don't look for life in a mere shadow or symbol. Don't look for life in anything else. Jesus alone gives life. He alone can be trusted. He calls his people by name. He leads his people. He knows his people. He feeds them. He cares for them. He protects them. He's their door. He leads them out into pasture. He leads them into safety. He came to give life. He came to rescue his people. Why would we look anywhere else? We're all tempted to do that, aren't we? If we're honest with ourselves, all of us here this morning, whether you are yet to place your faith in Christ or whether you have, we're still tempted to place our faith in other lesser things. But why would we settle for anything less than Jesus? He's the only one who has power over life and death. He's the only one who calls us by name who can be trusted. 
Let's all hear the voice of Jesus and follow him and find full life. Why would you look for a fullness of life when really he defines what life is and he offers it to you in all of its fullness? And then he uses another metaphor, another symbol that we are to carry out in obedience to him. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that, that we, we all need to see the real thing when we look at symbols, we look at metaphors to see what's real and true. And Jesus gave these metaphors of shepherd and sheep and the door. And he's given us another metaphor, and it's the metaphor of baptism that we're going to transition to in just a moment. And what Jesus gave us in this rite of baptism, it, it represents the forgiveness and cleansing from sin that comes from faith in him. If you're not a believer, what this means is that everyone who's going to come up here has placed their faith, their trust in Jesus. They have turned from any false shepherds to the one true good shepherd. And they said, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. I place my faith in you to rescue me, to give me life. And so in baptism, it's this outward symbol of what happens to us inwardly. It's a symbol of a real thing. In in baptism, we publicly identify ourselves with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we proclaim that we are his sheep, we are his people, and we're following his voice now. What a wonderful picture that we get to celebrate. In baptism, we're, we're publicly identifying with the death of Jesus as we go under the water for all believers who have been submerged or been baptized in another way. All of that is a, is a symbol of being submerged into death. Just like Jesus died, so we consider ourselves dead to our old man, dead to sin. And as we're raised by those baptizing us, It's a symbol of how Jesus raises us to new life. When we come out of the water, it's a symbol of being new and washed clean in him. Washed in the waters of baptism. Now those waters actually don't make you clean inwardly, but it's a symbol of the fact that he's made us clean in every way. Even though we continue to sin, our hope is he makes us clean before God. That's what that means to go down and to come up in the waters of baptism. We identify with him in his burial as we're submerged. We identify with Jesus in his resurrection. What a perfect day to do this, Resurrection Sunday. We're raised out of the water. We're showing that we're trusting in Jesus to raise us up and give us new life. Just like those people are trusting in whoever's dunking them to raise them up. And by the way, they will. They're not going to leave you under, in case you're wondering. And so how fitting it is today that we carry out this outward symbol This morning, we get to celebrate new life. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I encourage you to do that, even as you're watching people be baptized and hearing their stories of what Jesus has done. Some stories are briefer, some are longer. They're all placing their hope in the same good shepherd. And the water baptisms we're about to celebrate is a sign that each person has repented. What that means is to turn away from themselves, to turn away from following after other shepherds, and they've turned to God, turned to Jesus, the good shepherd. So right now, why don't we turn our attention in a moment. We're going to hear the testimony of some people who, have, of G, who trusted in Jesus, the good shepherd, for life. And then after each person has given testimony to the truth of what's happened, they're going to be baptized in the water as a symbol of their new life in obedience to Jesus. I have the list here of folks.